Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. We're back. I don't know how to respond to that. I don't either, but you know what time it is. I think it's like well, five o'clock. No, no, not no, not the exact time. I'm talking about the holidays. We've got Thanksgiving, all you can eat, and then we roll right into Christmas time. I hope Thanksgiving's not affected by this turkey shortage that's going on. Wait, what? Yeah. Nuh-uh. Have you not seen the signs no. in the cafeteria? No. Maybe it's just in Emory, Virginia, but there's a turkey shortage happening. You're telling me we're not having our Thanksgiving dinner here at the Emory and Henry College? I think we are. There's just going to be probably some limits on the turkey. I'm not oh, sure. Okay, well, that kind of stinks. If I recall correctly, in the last episode, you said you were not a Christmas before Halloween person. However, Peyton, I've seen you looking at a bunch of Christmas things. I have. I we had have a meeting been. the other day. You were playing Christmas music. Yeah, you open up today's podcast singing Christmas music. Yes. My, one of my favorite, actually my favorite songs since I have gotten older, which is the Christmas song. It's probably my favorite one. By that King Cole. So, yep. Uh, yeah. I don't know. The Christmas time is a, is a very exciting time. It's a very time to- uh, Christmas times are coming. Yeah. I love the, uh, I love the, like the weather and the environment and the people. And it just seems like most people are just usually generally in a good mood. And it's Hey, just a Thanksgiving time. is a day. Christmas is a season, kids. Correct. Yes, that is right. I'm a very pro-Christmas person. I think, Meg, you're a pro-Christmas person. That is a fact. Meg, what is your favorite Christmas song? Uh, anything by Mariah Carey. Obviously. No. Why are you saying no? I'm not, I'm not. I'm a very, very traditional Christmas person. I yeah, like well, that, the that movie White Christmas. It's the episode that, they're, that everyone's about to listen to because um, if I've been made fun of for anything in my life, it is my lack of movie knowledge and movies that i've seen um it's awful so maybe ryan can educate me about christmas music and and movies, movies? i can't wait to be a professor Mo- one day movies yes. movies and topics so this is our film of podcast that we're get, that we're getting ready to talk about with uh about elvis listen elvis is a film that just came out not too long ago and it was actually pretty good i thought but there is also a Christmas song that he sings, which is called Blue Christmas. Yeah. And I might get hate for this, but I feel like anybody can kind of like sound like Elvis. Yeah. That, no, I'm, I'm, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I mean? Though. I, I do. I don't know. I want to go in your brain just one time. My my brain is just jumping back and forth from a whole bunch of different things. Yeah, no, no. I get that. It was... Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't... We were talking about Mariah Carey, and then you were like, the Elvis movie. And I was yeah, like... Yeah, Elvis movie. I thought it was good. It was a good movie. Uh, like Baz Luhrmann directed that movie. Yeah. Um, the actor that played Elvis? Whoa. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I mean, if somebody didn't know who Elvis was, they would probably depict as that guy. They might. Looking at it like They Elvis might. Guy. Y'all are crazy. Did you I, not like it? I did not like it. Okay. I'm... I left the movie theater early because I... It was only like 10 minutes early, but like by the end of it, I was literally like, I cannot sit here any longer and watch it. Oh, but wow. also, that, that tracks because I... My favorite movies never have an IMD, IMDb score over five. Meg, what are some of your favorite movies? I just watched The Good Nurse on Netflix, which is one of my favorite movies. My other favorite movie, which actually I'm pretty sure has a very She's high... She's going to say Megamind. No, it's not Megamind. It's a movie called Molly's Game. If anybody ever asks me what my favorite movie is, I always say Molly's Game. And it actually has a 7.4 rating, which is probably the highest of any movie that I like. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's I didn't really good. talk about any of my favorite movies during this one i didn't either because I, I wanted to hear his perspective yeah i did you too. Know? And it's really important to hear you know yeah uh have, okay. have you, do you all know wes anderson 
Uh-uh, I do not. Oh my gosh, he directed Fantastic Mr. Fox, and <gasps> yeah, no way. he does a lot of stop motion. And, oh, that's uh, cool. The Life Aquatic with Steve Sizzle was a great one. Okay. He just had a new one that came out called The French Dispatch, but he's great. Um, my favorite movie, um, of all time that no one knows. I, I should have brought it up. It's called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. It's this old black and white film about these two sisters, and one of them was a star, and the other one wasn't, and she like ends up killing her and like dragging her body down to the beach and. Oh yeah, it is. It is a time. Um, very uh, mind-boggling, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, they were in it. You don't know any of these people. It's okay. It's, it's okay. okay. it's okay. It's okay. We're all here to learn. Could, yeah, we're all here to learn. I think yeah. uh, one of the, one of the my favorite films I've seen recently was Hillbilly Elegy. 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 Yeah. 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 Thanks. I, that movie was awesome. Glenn Close is in that movie. Yes. The, yeah. the grand the grandma. Yeah, one of the best parts of that. Yeah, that the author a... of that book just won a seat in Congress. Oh, I did not know yesterday. That. Oh, yeah, interesting. Huh? Very interesting. Well, that's cool. Um, Do you want to know what my favorite Wes Anderson movie is? What is it? Sing, the movie with the singing animals. Wes Anderson directed Sing. It's Google says. Google Wes says Anderson, that. Wes um, Anderson directed Sing. I didn't know that. Animals. Wow, sing. That's that's why I'm saying that my movie knowledge is terrible because every single thing that you've said, I've sat here on my laptop and Googled. No, during this episode, um, let's talk about the episode. We have Thomas Britt on today. Yes. What what a great person. Yeah, alumni of Henry Henry College. You hear me call him Tommy in the in the podcast because at homecoming he was like, my name is Tommy, and so we were like, do we call him Mister Britt? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Speaking to like, yeah, a film critic. Now it's very honestly, I was very quiet on this episode. And you looked right over at me. He's like, you must be very like. In, you're like listening yes like, like hardcore like yeah. very intense. i thought you were sick saying. huh i thought you were sick no i'm not sick i feel great because you didn't scream no snakes no, no snakes. snakes no snakes yeah yeah on the film yeah but uh yeah listening to him was uh very interesting very yeah. informative yeah about, you know he's... films and you kind of get an idea of you know what's going on through his mind and you know his films and where he's come from and talking about the uh half of the fight for your life the fight for you. It's like Shark Tank in graduate Shark school. Tank. Yes. So we'll hear him talk about that. Yeah, and, um, very interesting. Let's hear him talk about that. Let's, Here let's is our it. episode with Thomas Britt. Hey, welcome to Studio B, the Emory and Henry College Bonner Scholar Podcast. Join Ryan and Peyton as they discuss themes of place, community, and common ground. This is Studio B. We are in the studio today with Tommy Britt. We're back. Tommy, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Oh, I think we're doing okay. You doing okay, Peyton? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised I haven't got sick yet. The weather's changing like great. Yeah. From about 80 yeah, degrees yeah. to a little 40. So Yeah. So, so Tommy, okay. where are you at right now? I'm in Fairfax, Virginia. Cool. So On are you campus like... at George Mason University. Awesome. And you are a professor, correct? I'm a professor of film and video. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah, that's interesting. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the program and maybe some of the classes that you teach? This program began in 2007, and I was hired for the first year of the program, the inaugural year. So I was teaching elsewhere for a year long, what's called a sabbatical replacement, which I did more or less straight out of graduate school. 
because I knew I wanted to teach. So I taught for a year in Connecticut and then they were hiring to start this film program at George Mason in 07. So I received that offer and accepted it. And I've been here ever since. So it began as a very small program. We had six students graduate our first year graduating class. And now we have, I think it's around 200 students in the major and, you know, maybe five different concentrations people can choose. So it's expanded quite a bit in 15 years. That is amazing. That's a lot of growth. Six people yeah. to now 200. Yeah. And that was 2007, you said? 2007 is when it began. Yep. So I've been here for the whole the whole ride. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, what sort of classes do you teach in uh, your job as professor? Well, I I teach a variety of things. One benefit of having been here that long is I've taught in nearly every area. And at first that was out of necessity because I was the only full-time faculty member for the first three years. And then we started getting other faculty and other people that had expertise in certain areas. And so as we've gotten new faculty and been able to offer new things, um, I've been able to teach things that are maybe more aligned with my natural research interests or the kind of production I enjoy doing. So uh, presently I teach ethics, which is a big research area of mine. So film and video ethics, which is not that typical of a class to find in undergraduate film programs. It's pretty distinctive. So that's a course I created, uh, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago, and it's still going strong. I teach that. I teach a lot of screenwriting classes. I'm the head of the screenwriting concentration. So uh, short film writing, feature film writing, any kind of screenwriting class, television writing. And I teach, I created a class called Global Horror Film uh, a little more than a decade ago as well. And that students can take for their global understanding credit. So any anyone from the university can take that class and get global understanding credit. And that's looking at different issues in the world through through horror films. So that's a fun class. That is super cool. Yeah, that does sound like a cool class. The, the global whole, yeah. horror one. Yeah. yeah. Both of our eyes kind of lit up when you said yeah, that, that one. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can be adjunct here and teach that one course just so that I can take <laughs> it. I can't awesome. tell you. I've, you know, I've often thought and wished to teach at uh, at Emory and Henry College. So it's uh maybe maybe someday. Yeah, maybe maybe this maybe this podcast can expedite that. Yeah, and, that's right. <laughs> um, we're actually recording in the in the mass communications department right now. That's where the new audio studio is. Yeah, it's so, a lot nicer than our old one. It is a lot nicer. Yeah. The old one was up in Miller, and uh, it used to be the old radio station. Yeah, we talk about that studio a lot. Yeah, we do. I, I think we miss it to an extent. I kind of, I kind of do. The smell, the heat. Yeah, the heat. Oh man, ninety yeah. degrees and. <laughs> oh yeah minutes. the thick foam walls <laughs> yeah we're we're in this in this new yeah. new studio now it's amazing uh so tommy you were a student here right so what year did you graduate 2002 that is the year i was born oh nice i was born in 01 so i was, was born in august of 2002 meg is in here too she's our producer she was born in 2003 did you say you were 02 as well i was 01 you were 01 oh yep. wow i forget you're older than me yeah okay so 2002 can you tell us a little bit about what campus life was like back in 2002 because 20 years later i bet it's a I bet it's a lot different yeah i mean to to really compare it i would have to be there for longer than a than a homecoming weekend or longer than however long i've been there recently to really say okay a b comparison this is what it was like then this is what it's like now 
I certainly the the buildings and the student living uh, conditions and all of that seems much more impressive and modern now than when I was there. But as you all were just saying about the different locations for the radio stations and stuff like that, um, sometimes there's a certain charm to older things, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it's it's funny. Like I could look back with fond memories on, you know, productions I might have been involved with that looking back is very low tech, very, you know, <laughs> primitive in some cases conditions. But I remember we had a a theater production in the I guess it was in the lobby of Carragher. Is Carragher still called Carragher? It is. It is, it is yeah. under construction right now. It is going to be the new business, business school. School, yeah. So that first level of Carragher, I guess I don't know what one would call that that main room that was that was on that floor, but they did a theater production in the round, you know, they had audiences all around and, and that was an interesting venue to stage a theatrical production. And certainly being a mass com, I guess it's, is it media communications now? It is. It changed the semester to media and communications. Okay. So yeah, I'm wondering, should I update my resume to reflect that or uh, honor the old name? But being a, being <laughs> someone who graduated with that degree Maybe the most relevant thing or the thing that you all would find the most interesting is I was there during the transition from analog video and analog uh, linear video editing to digital video and, and nonlinear editing. So being there in like 2000, 2001, 2002, I experienced both of those worlds. And then interestingly, when I went to film school for my graduate degree, it was a similar bridging of technologies because I was able to shoot on film and edit on film and shoot on video and edit on video. I was able to record sound on tape and edit on tape and record sound digitally and, and edit it digitally. So my undergrad and graduate experience, those occurred at the exact right time for me to experience all of those formats. Wow. So when you say recording and editing on film, you're talking about the actual film strips, right? And then having to cut those? Exactly. I, I was among the last people, um, the last generation to to have to learn that in film school. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. And the same thing with the audio tapes, right? Yeah. So we recorded on audio tape and cut it. So it's called destructive editing because you're actually cutting oh, yeah. materials. It makes you think a lot more before you make a single edit because you can't just, you know, command Z and undo it. Yeah. And especially that's where that term on the cutting room floor comes, right? Yeah. Exactly. So if you were, you know, if we could flash back to a few years after I was at, after I was at Emory, uh, I was in Ohio at Ohio University. And there were about 10 to 12 students in each class. It was a very competitive graduate program. So they only let in maybe 10 to 12 students and uh, each class. And the benefit of that was they had space for each of us to have our editing room set up. And so when you were working on your project, when you were editing it and cutting it on film, you would literally have film strips hanging all around from the ceiling and the walls. And it's good to be organized and keep track of which clips were where, but yeah, cutting room floor, as you say, that has a very literal meaning. Wow. That is awesome. So you graduated from here, you did some, some really cool film things and uh, the theater things that you mentioned. And then uh, you went to Ohio, right? Is that where you got your. Exactly. Graduate? So okay. I got my MFA from Ohio university. That's awesome. And what was that experience like? That was really intense. I mean, I I felt 
well prepared for Emory and Henry because of my high school education. I felt like when I, I didn't know what college was going to be like. I was a first generation college student. No one in my family had gone to college. It was all a mystery. And when I got to Emory and Henry, I realized that my high school classes, particularly like my English classes, literature classes, but really across the board had prepared me very well for what I would need to know and, and do at Emory and Henry. And so I, I had a successful experience as a student there academically and which was I think part of why I got into graduate schools because I didn't have any filmmaking experience necessarily I had I knew I wanted to go to film school which was why I combined studying like theater directing and mass communications because I thought if I put those two things together maybe that will form some kind of a, an identity that could get me there but I had not really studied film in any way so I got into film schools, I think just on the strength maybe of my academics. And then it was a three-year graduate program. At the end of each year, you had to defend your place in the program. So your funding for, this, for the next year depended on presenting your work to the entire gathered faculty and defending each and every choice you made. And so even if the films you made just weren't their taste, you had to defend it in a way that won them over. And it was super competitive in a way that I didn't. I think at Emory, I placed a lot of pressure on myself. I think in film school, there just was naturally a lot of pressure all around. Talk about convincing. Yeah, I think I would have been very, very sure. Imagine if we had to do rough. that at the end of every year here and be like, this is why I want to stay. Yeah, that would, yeah, I think I would be so sure. Wow, that must <laughs> that be like one be, of yeah. the greatest teachers, though, you know? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Peyton, I think you have a question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we cannot, there's no way we can finish this podcast without uh, asking what our favorite films are. So uh, if you don't mind me asking, Mr. Ritt, what are uh, some of your favorite films? Now, this is a question that maybe have to, it might have to be tabled for another day because <laughs> it's such a large area. It really yeah. depends on the, uh, it depends on the day. It depends on maybe what genre we're talking about. Um, I, I like so many different types of things. I really like Alfred Hitchcock movies. Uh, I really like uh, several of the Coen brothers movies. I like David Lynch. I like Sofia Coppola. Uh, it's easier to maybe say, the filmmakers that I like than it is to to name a single film. Ooh, yeah, I don't know if any of sense. those names strike. Oh up. yes, you said David Lynch. I I watched Mulholland Drive last year. That was a good film. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, I've seen The Birds and Psycho. Nice, uh, nice. Yeah, no, I'm I'm starting to get into more movies. Uh, I've seen like uh, a lot of Stanley Kubrick films. Uh, let's see, I like A Clockwork Orange. That's a good, that's a good film. Yeah. That movie uh, makes you think about what movies you watch. <laughs> yeah. Oh my what goodness. The scene where his like eyes are like being held open. I'm like, what is happening? But, yeah. Now, those are great. David, and David Lynch. Um, I do a lot of writing about David Lynch and there's a new David Lynch book coming out. I think at the beginning of next year that I have a chapter in, but I've done a, quite a bit of, um, you know, research and presenting and writing about Twin Peaks and Mulholland Drive and, all of his, I think I've written at this point about maybe all of his film, all of his feature films, but two, because he's been a big part of my research agenda. And Mulholland Drive played as part of the, is, this, is it still called the Cinema? It is, yes, the Abington Cinema. Yeah, so it played as part of the Arts Array film programming my senior year of college. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah, we still do, we still do uh, college movie premieres. We have one tonight. Uh -uh. We're going to see Black Panther 2. Um, 
Yeah. You know what's funny about that? What's that? For this weekend, I think it was on uh, for Friday. I don't I don't know about Saturday, but I think Friday, like some places back home are only showing one film, and that's the film that they're showing. They're not oh, showing wow. any other films besides that one. Yeah. It's kind of weird, but yeah. Yeah. Tommy, what do you think about that? About uh, I'm curious your thoughts on the, the, the role that Marvel has right now in the film industry. Uh, I think they are good in the sense that they keep a lot of people employed. They make a lot of money. They generate a lot of money. I don't know the creative effects. I think some people have a lot of, uh, what do they call it? Superhero fatigue. I know some yeah. certain filmmakers are really critical of the whole, the type of film that is. I know that Scorsese infamously made some comments about that. And then Tarantino released a book last week or something. And he, in that he's saying he he wouldn't direct a Marvel film because he's not a hired hand. He's, he tells the stories he wants to tell. So I think that yeah. perspective is out there. I do find them really interesting. In fact, this past weekend, I pre presented a new paper at a conference about Morbius. My paper was all about Morbius, <laughs> which is not an MCU film. It's an SSU, you know, Sony Spider-Man universe film. But I talked quite a bit about Marvel in that. And then I'll be doing another thing about Marvel at a conference at the end of the month. Um, so I do a bit of writing about Marvel. And I certainly stuck with the first phases of the Avengers. and But in fact, I was just talking in my screenwriting class last night about this. If you, if you try to watch the Marvel Cinematic Universe in chronological order, as many people do, particularly when a new film or television show comes out, it's the list of items to watch is now something like 94 items long. So... I think it's expanding beyond any one person's time or ability to take it all in. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's hard to keep up with everything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Especially on like, I was on Disney plus the other day, just moving, like looking around and there's like a whole like sections, like you can watch it in this order. And yeah. yeah. The films weren't produced in that order, you know, so yeah, it's kind of, kind of hard to keep yeah. up with. I know. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of this, I think 94 was the number last time I looked and it includes everything from the features to the one shots to the, the different series they've done on streaming. So some of the items are, you know, it's a five minute short that was on a Blu-ray, but then another one of the items will be a 10 hour streaming series that you have to watch. So again, I know I certainly don't have time in consuming all to consume all of that. And I don't have an interest in consuming all of it. I think they've worked themselves into a bit of a corner because some of the properties depend on having seen so many other things that they don't make sense to a casual viewer. Yeah, no, I, I was talking point. to some people about going to the movie tonight. And they're like, well, have you seen the one before it? I was like, no, they're like, you're not going to understand <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Totally, that doesn't yeah. sound very appealing to no, me then, no, you yeah. know? Yeah, the newest Doctor Strange, I think, was like that. I think one would be very lost if they hadn't seen the immediately preceding installments. And yeah. Nice. Okay, Tommy, got a question for you. If you if you could like say, like, here's my question. Sorry, brain is all over the place right now. I don't know how to word this. If you could choose one film for a college student to watch, what was the film that you wish you would have seen back when you were at Emory Henry College? Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm gonna try to think of what would be the maximum? Yeah, that, that's sort of a loaded to, question. Uh, let's come back to that one. 
because okay, right yeah. now my brain is on Morbius and the stuff. Yeah, you're in the, you're in the Marvel mode. <laughs> let, it be, let the record state, I did not say Morbius is the one film every student should watch. We are writing it down. You got that, Meg? It's not Morbius. <laughs> Perfect. So, Tommy, can you tell us about, uh, are, do you have any projects that you're working on now or uh, any work that you're doing? I do mostly. Uh, so, I'm. I never went out and tried to enter the industry in a way that a lot of people do a lot of our students or my colleagues do i never had that calling to try to go out and be a, um, a filmmaker professionally i just i knew i wanted to learn about it i wanted to get an advanced degree in it but from the first year of grad school where i was doing teaching i realized that that was where my interests were and that i felt like i made a bigger i had a bigger effect in that area than I likely ever would if I went out and put all the focus on trying to succeed as a filmmaker. It just felt like two very different paths and I was much more committed to one than the other. So all of my, most of my work is in film criticism and film history and theory and stuff like that. So I do these, I'm constantly doing these talks at different academic conferences and publishing in journals and books, but creatively, I've done quite a bit of documentary stuff and most of my mentors were documentary filmmakers. And so that has been more interesting to me from a film production standpoint. And then every every month I compete in screenplay competitions and film festivals with scripts that I write. I don't really ever intend to make them, but I write them and I enter into competitions and that I, I've had surprising amount of success in that the past five or six years. I didn't really know where I was going with that, but as a professor of screenwriting, I thought that it would be really good to stay engaged with that, if nothing else, so that I could represent to my students what the current practices were and what all was going on. But it's been this other unexpected direction that my research has taken. So that's been a lot of fun. So mainly just short screenplays, scripts for short films. And yeah, that's been occupying a lot of my time lately. That sounds awesome. That was a really cool answer to go down that teaching route. Yeah, correct. And the the whole film criticism. That's pretty yeah, cool. For me, I don't know. I Like I said, I have colleagues that are more or less full-time filmmakers. I have students that go on to be full-time filmmakers, which makes me really happy because I feel like that's one sign that we've succeeded as a, as a department. But I just never, I had internships when I was in college and when I was in grad school where I worked on, you know, movie sets and I worked, I had an internship when I was in grad school that was at Nightline, which is an ABC show. And then I interned with a documentary filmmaker. So I had all of those experiences, documentary, fiction, film, and news broadcasting. And I really enjoyed them all, but I never felt like this is a place that I see myself having a career just because the atmosphere is not it was not what I wanted. And as I said, I thought that I that I could serve other people better as a teacher than I could otherwise. That's amazing. That 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 service part. That's that's what this podcast is right. about. Yeah. yeah. Um we do no, we don't call it community service anymore. We call it yeah. community engagement Correct. Yeah. through the Appalachian Center. So uh, a question we like to ask on this podcast too, Tommy, is uh can you think of a time or a moment in your career that you were just reminded that this is where you're supposed to be in the work that you're doing? 
Um, not one single moment. I would say that every time I hear from former students or colleagues and either they have something to share that's an indicator of their success and achievement they've had or telling me that something that I was involved with in their in their education or in their career was meaningful to them. I think those are the regular reminders. And sometimes one goes a period of time without one of those directly. But I feel very fortunate to have stayed in touch with people from every phase of my career. And yeah, I would say that those smaller mentions, those smaller interactions are the reminders that there has been some engagement or some effect. And that's what teaching is all Great, about. Yeah. Perfect. All right. It is, and it never, it also never, it's uh, as a, prof a big part of being a professor is service. That's one of the categories that you're expected to do. And so it's, you know, uh, research, teaching, and service. Well, service, there's no end to how much service you can do as a professor. And so for me, you know, almost all of the service or the engagement, to use your word, that I do is involved with my workplace because at the university, there are endless opportunities to serve. And so at this point in my career, I'm a full professor now, which is, you know, the traditional route is you're an assistant professor, then an associate professor, then a full professor. And that's kind of the end of the line, full professor. So that's where I'm at now. And a lot of what I do is mentor junior faculty or faculty that are coming up for tenure. I'm very involved in helping and guiding other people through those processes that I went through. So that's the biggest area of service right now is actually colleagues, in addition to whatever you could qualify that I do with students as service, it's mentoring other faculty. So that's been, that is a rewarding thing as well. That is so awesome. Yeah, no, you're definitely uh, in that service and a great resource. I met you at homecoming and now you're on our podcast. So that is amazing. I am going to circle back to our question. Yep. If if you could go back in time at college and you're like, what's what's a movie right now that you're like, I wish that college me would have seen? It could be a genre or maybe from a director. Okay, so one film that I did watch in college, I know this is slightly modifying the question, but one film that it's I okay, did okay. watch in college that I think should be more widely seen is a movie called The Insider, directed by Michael Mann, who's another one of my uh, filmmakers that I quite like. And that's about a whistleblower in the tobacco industry. And it's a real life story adapted into a film. I think it was a Vanity Fair article. It was in some publication, but it's a true story that was adapted into a film. And I still don't think that film is widely seen uh, among, he's made a lot of more popular films than that, but I still think that's one of the best. So The Insider is the film that I did see in college. In fact, I saw it on campus um, as part of the, similar program to the one that's bringing Black Panther. And, you know, maybe there were four of us watching it. So even, even in that screening, it was vastly under attended, but that's a film I saw on campus at Emory that I think more people should still watch. Wow. Okay, guys, you hear that? We have to watch The Insider. Yeah, I think uh, I might be wrong, but I think Russell Crowe maybe might be. Exactly, Russell yeah. Crowe. Yeah, he was, uh, the very first movie I think I ever watched with him in it was, uh, 310 to Yuma, I think, and it was a Western movie, and it was awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah that one's really awesome good movie. as well. Yeah, yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. 
Well, Tommy, our time is coming to an end. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us. This has been my favorite episode. Yeah, I like this Because I like yeah, to talk about fun. movies yeah, films, and yeah. hear people's perspective. Cool. So, And I will say, a movie that you sh- that you could watch at any age, at any part in your life, and probably relate to it if you've been through high school in America, is a movie that's just called High School from 1968, I think. It's a documentary. It's fly on the wall, observational, so the filmmaker doesn't talk. They don't interview anyone. They just observe what life is like at a certain high school. And that's a film that I teach with. And it's amazing how relatable students find it this many decades later. So that's my answer to the the original question, not the modified version. No, that's great. High Directed school. by Frederick Wiseman, W-I-S-E-M-A-N, high school. In, in 1968. And he just documented this high school that was supposed to be one of the best high schools. And I won't say anything that would spoil it, but you get the impression Ooh. that things are not as good for the students there as the teachers there probably think they are. So as an educator, it's an important film to watch too as a teacher because you think it's always best to think about what the students are actually going through rather than what we would like them to be going through. Wow. (laughs) I haven't even seen it yet and I'm really, really interested and mind blown. The high, high school. High school, yes. old inside. black and white documentary, but it's it's really fascinating. It it holds up even this many years later. Yeah, that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your brain with us today, Tommy. It of has been it's, it's been, been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. No problem. We'll catch up with you later. All right. Take care. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Studio B is part of the Emory and Henry College Bonner Scholar Program through the Appalachian Center for Civic Life. Studio B is produced by Meg Askew and edited by Ryan Vaughn. To listen to past episodes, go to anchor.fm slash ehstudioB or wherever you listen to podcasts.